Let me invite you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're in, uh, in the middle of a series in the book of Genesis where we've been studying it for a few months. Uh, we're going to continue to study it through, uh, through the next year. Uh, and this morning we're actually going to look at a topic that I almost skipped over because this is, this is not going to be uh, one of those really emotionally compelling sermons. This isn't going to be one of those, those things that kind of grabs your heart. It's really kind of a practical down-to-earth type of question this morning. Well, the question I want to ask you this morning is how do you work and how do you rest? How do you work and how do you rest? Now, that doesn't sound all that exciting. And as I said, I almost passed over it except for this fact. I think about our day and age and our society in which we live. And I just ask every, you know, the, the youngsters, if you see a time when your mom or dad stops working, and you know what? Most of us don't see that that often because we are so uh, driven by the clock. We have so much to do, and it seems like so little time in which to do it. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I, I see folks who kind of come through the weekend, and the weekend's really kind of a chance to catch your breath, and I, I see somebody on Sunday night, and they look more exhausted than they did you know, on Friday at the end of their work week because they went from activity to activity to activity. It seems like we have such a hard time stopping uh, and learning to rest. Uh, this book Leland Riken wrote a few years ago called Redeeming the Time. Uh, he makes an observation about our busyness, and I'm just going to read a couple of sentences out of this because I think it kind of sets the, sets the tone. He says, it's nearly impossible to exaggerate the impact of technological speed on our individual and family lives. For one thing, technology has increased the number of options we have at our disposal. It has given us more products, and with these have come more potential activities. Anybody play Game Boy? We got any Game Boy guys? We got any? Um, uh, what's the other? What are the? What are the big? What is it? Yes. DS. Okay. We. How many? Who has a Wii? Okay. I, I tried to play Wii tennis the other day. It was really. It was a scary. It was almost as bad as me trying to play actual tennis. But uh, you don't have to leave your house to have all this stuff that you're able to do. And he goes on. And he says this. But the problem is that the amount of time we have to do things is still fixed. As long ago as 1965, economist Gary Becker argued that our, as our affluence allows us to buy more and more goods, we have less and less time to spend on each one of them. The result is that we try to cram more activities into a fixed amount of time. I think that describes our generation. I would describe our generation as, as busy but worn out. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. But but within our pace of life, one of the things that I think Scripture is going to, to point out to us this morning is that we need to learn to rest. But that's just one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this, is that being busier doesn't necessarily mean being more productive. Well, we had the opportunity to go to our daughter's uh, commencement exercises in College of Charleston. And at that, uh, that commencement exercise, a woman named Charlotte Beers Beetleton, who's a very uh, influential woman in the advertising field, she was the first woman to be on the magazine cover of Fortune 500 working in the ad business. She gave the commencement address. And basically what she said to the, to the students who were graduating was, the world doesn't owe you any favors. And a lot of you haven't learned to work. A lot of you, and then she turned to us in the audience, said a lot of you have not helped these guys any because you have not taught them how to work. And we're facing a national crisis that's going to need people who know how to work and work hard and work creatively. And she basically went on to, to, to basically chastise all of us, to correct all of us and say, you know what? We need to learn to be better workers. She goes, I don't want to walk into someone's office 
and to find out that, that, that as their boss, I'm interrupting their time on their Facebook page or that they're too busy texting to actually get their work done. And, and recent studies have shown uh, that we're working a few less hours each week because we are busy with those other things. Busyness doesn't necessarily mean productiveness. And if you're an employer, you know this. Isn't it great to find a, a person who really knows how to work hard? Isn't it wonderful to have an employee who comes in and says, how can I make this organization achieve its goals? How can I help this place be a better place, be a more productive environment. We need to learn to work. And so as I said, a proper approach to work and rest doesn't uh, sound all that exciting, but I believe it's something that, that Moses addressed when he wrote the book of Genesis because of something very specific, two very specific things that God did. And we're going to see those in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read verses uh, 2 and 3, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 15, and then we're going we're to talk about those for just a moment this morning. So this is God's word, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, just verses 2 and 3, and then jumping down to verse 15. It says this, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work, from all that he had done in creation. And then verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him be glory. Let's pray again for just a moment. Lord Jesus, uh, we have worshiped you with our voices this morning. Every time that we sing praises to you, uh, we are saying that you are great and awesome God and that we love you. And we're so thankful for what you have done in our lives. We're thankful for our families, for our friends. Thank you for the schools that we get to go to. We're thankful for the jobs that we have. We're thankful especially for summer because some of us are on break now. We get to enjoy going to the pool and swimming and having fun with our friends. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the one who gives us these good gifts. Now, Lord Jesus, as we have praised you with our mouths, now we want to praise you and worship you with our minds. We want to study your word. We want to learn what you have to say to us because you love us so much. You have given us your word. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that you would forgive me for my sin. I pray that I wouldn't stand in the way of what you want all of us to learn this morning. I pray as we think about work and rest that you would perhaps give us an insight that we haven't had before that we wouldn't make this a duty that we perform, but rather we would see it as a blessing that you have given us. So Lord Jesus, we, we come and we sit at your feet, and we ask that you would, would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. I want to just break this down into two very simple ideas. One is, I'm going to simply call it a theology of work. And when I say a theology of work, I simply mean, what does God say about work? Theology is the study of God. And so we're going to talk for just a few minutes about a theology of work, and then I want to talk about what does God say about rest, a theology of rest, and how do we see that working in our lives? So what does God say about work? And I'm actually going to do the verses backwards. I'm going to start with verse 15, and then I'll jump back up to the beginning of the chapter. In verse 15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. The first thing we need to see is that part of who we are as image bearers, part of who we are as being created in the image of God is that we are workers. Now, Sin has made work more difficult. 
Uh, the fact that, that we're fallen and we're broken and we're no longer in a perfect relationship with God, which will, in two weeks, we're going to begin to unpack all of that in chapter 3. Uh, work certainly is not quite the blessing it was when Adam was in the garden, but it is a blessing nonetheless. God has given us work because it gives us a purpose. Think about if, it, if God had created Adam and it just kind of left him out there to roam and said, okay, uh, go do whatever you want to do. And it gave him no instruction and no help and no direction. But God put him in a very specific place and gave him a very specific task to do because Adam was created in the image of God. He had creative ideas. He had, he had ideas of how to make the garden a little better place. He had an idea of how to spruce it up and to go to work on that and how to put in some irrigation to get some water on the trees and make them grow to the very best they could. And I'm sure he had ideas of how he wanted to arrange all the flowers and all the plants. That is what God created within him. And so God gave him the opportunity to work. And work we need to see as a blessing from God, which for some of us is a little bit difficult. Let me give you some scripture verses on, on, uh, on this topic of this blessing of work. In Exodus 20, during the giving of the Ten Commandments, in the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which we, we hear a lot, but here's the second part of that. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. God says, I, you have work to do, and I want you to spend the bulk of your time engaged in that work. Listen to what King Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 6 when he's talking to his son and he's trying to help him understand how important work is. This is a, this is a father. Maybe he's talking to a teenage son. Maybe he's talking to an adult son or maybe a seven or eight-year-old son, but he's talking to one of his children and he's trying to help them under, understand the importance of work. And he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food for the harvest. How long will you lie there, O slugger? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now you say, well, Solomon's being pretty mean, calling his, his son a sluggard, uh, calling him somebody who's slothful, who, who doesn't like the work. When Solomon isn't accusing his son, he's simply making a point. And his point is, son, if you choose to be lazy, if you choose not to, to find that, that creative part of you that God has, has given you that's made you the way you are, and if you don't engage in work, what you're going to find out is you're going to find out what it means to, to have poverty overtake you. And he, and he loved his son, and he wanted to offer him that, that blessing of encouragement. So he encourages him to, to work. Jesus says in John chapter 5, My father is working till now, and I am working. We talk about Jesus' earthly ministry. We talk about the work that Jesus did. We talk about the work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. Skipping ahead to 2 Thessalonians, I'll give you, give you one more passage. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, it says this, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It is not because we do not have the right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we, with you, we, we, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat." For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we commend and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. 
There's passage after passage in Scripture where, where God reminds us that this gift of work is what he's given to us. And we need to engage in that on a regular basis. Now, why is work held in such high regard? And I want to just give a couple of observations here. The, the obvious one is that work is, is given as a means by God to help provide for our, our life's needs and our life's wants. Uh, the things that you, that you engage in on a daily basis, or you see your mom or your dad going off to work in the morning, then coming home in the afternoon and maybe being off in the weekend, but they go to their job uh, and they work and they do, maybe they're a doctor, maybe they're a lawyer, maybe they, they work for some kind of business, but they earn a paycheck. They're able to provide, you know, a roof over our head and clothes on our back and food to table for dinner time. That's, that's one of the obvious reasons why work is held in high regard, because it provides for the needs of our family but also works as, as a mean of production. If you don't do your job, our society is missing out. If you're, if you're a, a great writer and you don't take the time to, to hone your craft and skill, you know, we might miss out on the great 21st century novel. If you're a doctor and you practice your medicine or if you're a business person and you, and you build up a business, you're going to employ other people, you're going to provide for health needs. You're going to provide products. And there's something about just being able to produce that is godly. You look at how God spoke and produced the universe, produced the world and everything in it. There's something about work as a means of production that ought to uh, really sink deeply into our hearts. Another example is this. Work, I believe, we need to see it as psychological satisfaction. There's an emotional benefit. You know, you ever sit on your, your porch after the end of a, of a long day, maybe a cup of iced tea, a glass of iced tea, and you sit there and you just kind of sit back and go, that was a good day. We got a lot of stuff done today. You know, maybe you're working in the yard all day. There's a great scene uh, in the movie Shawshank Redemption uh, where the prisoners are put on the work detail on the roof of the building. Uh, and as they're working, they're working out in the hot sun all day. And at the end of the day, uh, Andy, the main character, has, has got something on one of the guards, and so the guard owes him a favor. And he says, you know, we'd just like to be able to sit out here on the roof of, of this building and, and have a couple beers just like any old guy would sitting on his porch. And the scene, the camera pans back, and there are the workers, the prisoners, who have some sense of identity that was deeper than when they started the day. A sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment as they sat, sat there and just in the late afternoon sun just kind of had a beer and relaxed. Why? Because there's something emotionally satisfying about a job well done. And God created you in that manner. And so work is to be treasured because that one more observation about work. Work we need to also see as service. A lot of people are wearing their yellow wristbands. If you got a yellow wristband, hold, hold up. You got your 20, 28 wristband. Oh, mine's strapped to my, to my cup of coffee over there. It's because next a weekend. We're going to spend the weekend working to serve others. We're going to meet the needs of some other folks that maybe don't have the opportunity to care for themselves or folks that are doing really good work and we can just come alongside them and help them in that process. Do you have a theology of work? Do you understand that God has created you for that? There's a lot of application here. Understanding that part of our identity is work-related grows a healthy work ethic. It makes me a better employee for those whom I serve. An application of this may be to go to my boss, to go to one of my coworkers and say, how am I doing? How's my work shaping up? Are you satisfied with it? Is there something I can do to help more in this particular business, in this particular place? Parents, one of our applications is to teach our children the value of work and the self-respect they earn. 
So giving chores around the house. I remember when each of our children turned 12 years old, uh, mom said, it's time for you to do your own laundry. Wow, 12 years old, you got to do your own laundry. And I'm like, okay, Cindy, I'm, I'm with you. What do we do? And she says, well, when they go off to college, we don't want them you know, to come home with you know, 25 bags of clothes because they didn't know how to do laundry. So we're going to start now teaching them to be responsible. And each of our kids learned in their preteen year to, uh, to do their own laundry. All of our kids had chores around the house. When, uh, when our boys went through high school, Jordan's still in high school. He's still feeling the pain of this. Uh, hockey at Kirkwood High School is a club sport. So the kids have to pay for their hockey. Now, there's a lot of ways they have fundraisers and they can earn some money. But we said to both our boys, you're going to have to pay for your hockey when you go to high school. It's not because I don't love them. It's not because I couldn't find the money to put together to help them pay for hockey. But I wanted them to learn the joy of playing the sport because they earned it because they deserved it, because nobody handed it to them. Do we have a theology of work? Well, that's the first question. The second question is this, do we have a theology of rest? A lot of us have the work part down. In fact, a lot of us maybe uh, work uh, a bit too much. And so we're going to talk about the other side of this coin because it's just as important. Look, go back to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God finished the work Uh, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, that word God rested uh, is a word that we have in our modern English that we call Sabbath. And Sabbath simply means to stop working. So if I come up to you and I say, uh, are you having a Sabbath? And you say to me, yes, it means that you understand that you've stopped working. And so you can use Sabbath as a noun or a verb, but it simply means to cease from your work. And so God has a Sabbath. God rested from his work. He stopped. God ceased, not because he was tired, not because he was depleted from uh, all of his power or from all of his energy, but God stopped because it was complete. God is, and I'm going to give you a really big word that I don't expect you to remember, but God is omnipotent. It means that God has all the power in the universe. It means that whatever God's will is, he has the ability to accomplish that will. He's never lacking in any of his power. So we say God rested. It's not that God went, boy, I'm worn out. I just need to, I got to go sit on the porch in heaven up here and get some angels around me and kind of hang out for a little while and have a glass iced tea and put our feet up because we're exhausted from doing all this creation. That's not how God rests. It simply means that God finished and completed everything that he needed to do. And if you remember the last thing God said when he finished creating, right before he took a Sabbath, what did God say? He looked at all and said, it is very good. And so God ceases. But for us, we're finite. We're not omniscient. I don't have all the power of the universe. I don't, I don't have unending uh, ability to do as much as I could possibly want. Cindy and I went for a walk yesterday afternoon. It was a nice afternoon, but the sun was out, and it was, you know, it was, it was a pretty warm day, and we walked for about five miles, and I got home, and phew, I needed to sit down. I needed to rest. I needed to catch my breath. And God understands that we are finite, that we don't have unending energy, and so he gives us this gift of rest. Um, when I was in college, 
and, uh, and playing soccer, we would, we would watch these instructional videos that were put out by the British Premier League. And uh, we'd, we'd go to soccer camp a week early before school started, and uh, we'd sit, and in between practices, we'd sit in the film room, and we'd watch these films. And this coach from the, from the British uh, Premier League would have these guys doing all these drills. And in this wonderful British accent, which I can't do, he would start out every drill the same way. And he'd say, okay, lads, have a go have a go, which meant start the drill. And they would run real hard, they'd kick the ball, and they'd go back and forth and be doing sprints. And he would do this for about 45 seconds. And then he'd blow the whistle and he'd say, again, in this wonderful British accent, okay, lads, have a rest, have a rest, have a rest. And they'd fall down on the ground and they'd just be exhausted. And he'd talk to him a little bit. And he'd look at the camera and he'd say, now this is what we're trying to do. And I'll be understanding, okay, lads, here we go again, have a go. And he had this rhythm of work and rest and work and rest. And some of us don't understand that rest is just as important as work. We run from one activity to the next, one responsibility to the next, forgetting that God has created for us a Sabbath, a time to cease. Now, I think the key to understanding the Sabbath is in understanding these two words that are found in verse 3, and I want to share those with you, and then we'll wrap up. I want, want us to understand that God, in giving us a Sabbath and giving us a time to cease from work, is giving us a gift. In verse 3, it says this, So God, and here's the first word, blessed the seventh day and made it holy. I want to talk about God's blessing and the fact that this day is a day of holiness. We'll, we'll zip right through this. Understand that in the context of this gift, to be able to step back from our work without guilt, without any pressure to do more, and to enjoy the blessing of rest, to just be able to enjoy ceasing from our work. Uh, Jack Collins writes this way. He says, the implication to this verse is that the reader should adore the Creator, should exalt in its cre- His creation, and should revel in the Sabbath, revel in the rest, enjoy the fact that they get to stop their work even for just a day. Jonathan Edwards wrote it this way. He said, let us be thankful for the institution of Christian Sabbath. It is the thing wherein God hath shown his mercy to us and his care for our souls. He shows that he, by his infinite wisdom, is contriving for our good as Christ teaches us that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It was made for the profit and the comfort of our souls. So just as important as work is, we need to understand the importance of rest, that it is a gift from God. It is a blessing from God. And for those of us that ignore that rest, for those of us that wear workaholism as a badge of honor, we are sinning against God. We are profaning God's name when we refuse to rest because we think for whatever warped reason, maybe somebody taught us the wrong way, maybe we just got into some bad habits, but we think that working 80, 90, 100 hours a week and not taking a day off is really something to be honored and to be held in high esteem. Uh, The founder of Adidas Soccer, the founder of Adidas, that was actually his last name as a German man, was proud of this fact when he was still 78 years old and his wife passed away, that he went to her funeral in the morning and was back at his desk by noon. Friends, there's something radically wrong with that way of thinking. And yet many of us see a day of rest as a nuisance instead of as a blessing. 
I have a weird work schedule. My work starts on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. That's when my week begins. And my week ends Thursday afternoon around 4 or 5 o'clock. And Friday is my day off. And I learned a few years ago from a very wise person to get out of the office by 4 o'clock at the latest on Thursday so that I could have the evening to really prepare to rest so that I could enjoy my Friday. I used to run, I used to work till like 8 or 9 o'clock on Thursday night and then have a very quick day off and then start again on Saturday. And this friend advised me to just take the pace a little bit slower, Tom. It's okay. And Friday night, uh, this just two days ago, uh, we were sitting out at uh, Station Plaza in downtown Kirkwood. It was a beautiful evening. And the breeze was blowing. They had a saxophone guy playing the saxophone uh, up on the little stage there. And Cindy and Katie and I uh, were just enjoying dinner together. And it was probably, I don't know, about 70 degrees. It was a glorious evening. And I just sat there. And we weren't talking about anything all that important. We were just hanging out. But I sat there and I thought to myself, God, Father, thank you for rest. Thank you for Station Plaza, downtown Kirkwood, and that guy over there with that saxophone. And just the chance we have to kind of put our feet up. Friends, do we understand that rest is a gift. But do we also understand that rest is a promise? One day per week is not our ultimate rest. God set this day apart as holy. Why? To remind us that our rest is in God through Christ. He's setting for us an example. He's helping us to remember that he is the one that provides our rest. And ultimately that rest is provided in Jesus. Listen to Jesus's words in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are labor and are heavy burdened, who are weighed down with burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And if you come to me, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we come together on Sunday mornings, on what is typically our, the, the Christian Sabbath, it's typically the day when, when, when most of us rest. What we're doing is we're looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises, are we not? What we're doing is we're celebrating the work of Jesus. We're celebrating his work, that he died on the cross for us. But what are we also doing? We're celebrating the Sabbath that Jesus had entered into already. What did Jesus do after he ascended into heaven? He sat down at the right hand of the Father and is now enjoying the rest from his work of salvation. And now the Holy Spirit does his work in bringing us to salvation. But what we do on Sunday mornings is we're pointed back to the fact that this rest is not all there is. And that we have something to look forward to in the future. The author of Hebrews says that there's another rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God to enter into. So as we approach rest, do we understand the blessing that it is? Do we understand that God has given it to us to, to revive our souls? to refresh us, to give us an opportunity to reflect on his goodness. To ignore the earthly Sabbath is highly detrimental to us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Just as being slothful the other six days of the week hampers our ability to reflect on the creative genius of God and the abilities that he's given us. To, uh, to rest takes some work. <laughs> Can't rest if you're not already working. But I mean, it takes some planning. It takes some thoughtfulness. One of the the uh, two-edged sword, I guess, of my job is that on Saturday night, I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock. Anybody besides me in bed at nine o'clock last night? Okay. Not, not to, actually, I was up till about 9.30. Not, not too many. Okay. Typically, we run, 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 and then we get to Sunday morning, and, and we're kind of 
there. It's the first chance to sit down. And because I'm so wired and worried about my sermon, whether it be what it should be or not, typically I'm like, I got to get away from people and I got to get quiet and I got to spend some time just being still on Saturday in order to prepare for Sunday morning. I would encourage you, I'm not saying everybody go home every Saturday night, nine o'clock. Don't, we're not going to make this legalistic, okay? This is not about following a bunch of rules. But I would encourage you to think about your Sabbath. I would encourage you to think about your approach to rest. I believe that in our work and in our rest, we reflect the glory of God. We're reminded of his work on the cross for us, and we're a witness for his glory. Let's pray together.